during a time like this, um, if there's something suspect or something smells funny or is not clean or is not consistent, that just shakes the confidence of, of the other party. Uh, thanks for that. Greg, anything to add from your perspective on, on things to be ready to, to have your books ready to go on a, on a sale transaction that, that are top of mind? Yeah, I mean, building on what Vitaly mentioned, I think the real priority is being able to justify the, the strength of your revenue streams, um, both in terms of historical and going forward, because ultimately that's what an investor is looking for, right? They're not, the, the compliance part is about giving confidence in, in the figures and the fact that, you know, there's no skeletons that are going to jump out of the closet later. Um, you know, uh, what was the deal that uh, was a Hewlett Packard that spent $8 billion on the company in Britain and then had to write it off like three months later. Uh, that was, that was before I got to Hewlett Packard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's really about setting the, the stage for growth and giving the investors that confidence and, you know, having a, you know, a clean quality, competent set of records just gives people confidence, right? I mean, it's a good analogy is if you go into, if you go into a bank, you know, and everything's sloppy and branches falling apart and it's unpainted, like, are you going to put your money there? Like, even if it had Citibank on it, you're probably not going to put your money in that branch. So it's, it's just that visible uh, confirmation of what you're seeing on the growth story. Yeah. Um, you know, from the outside perspective, uh, either in, during the transaction in the due diligence process or afterwards in what I'll call the indemnification process, you know, I, I find that you know, there are three critical items that come back and bite you. Um, the first, I think Drew has mentioned it uh, already, which is employment. Either it's misclassification of, 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 of employees as contractors. And in California, we have something called AB5, uh, which is a statute that's um, made it very challenging to, to maintain a, a group, a workforce uh, on a non-employment basis. Uh, and then two, in employment, you know, there's the classification as exempt or non-exempt and whether or not you should have been paying them overtime. So that's something that, that often buyers will challenge either during the process or after. And so getting your house in order now um, and, and making sure that um, you, you won't have a, a post-closing obligation is, is, is really important. Um, the next thing I would say is, is uh, sales tax. Um, I find that companies do a very good job uh, uh, paying their franchise taxes and their income taxes in, in the various states that they're owed, but not necessarily sales tax and that buyers come in after the fact. And when there's a, you know, either a sales office or sales people in a particular state that um, a, a, a a buyer will either during the, the M&A process or after the fact uh, wonder or, or think that they should have been paying sales tax. Um, so that's, that's something that um, it, it comes back to bite you. And, and then, and I, I think this goes to what, what uh, Drew, Greg, and Jenny have all been saying, and, and that's just good financial hygiene, um, which on this slide we're calling processes. But if you have a good process in place, you're going to have uh, good financials. And if you don't have good processes, you know, they will, there will be errant entries or, or things that should have been entered in the financial system that weren't. Um, you know, one, one funny example I, I had was um, I closed a deal. This was maybe 10 years ago. And the seller had uh, written a check uh, to pay for a large item of equipment. 
and didn't enter, I, I guess it was in the days just preceding the closing and they didn't enter the check into the debit entry. Uh, and, and so uh, the buyer, the, the, the check was then cashed by the recipient a, a week later and uh, the buyer had paid uh, in the working capital adjustment cash for that amount uh, that hadn't been debited. And, and so said, rightly said, hey, whoa, whoa. Um, you know, you, there's a check that just came in for half a million dollars. Uh, that that was on your nickel, and you know we had to go back and and recover the monies, um, which is uh, not a, not a place that you want to be in. Um, so those were those were some thoughts about um, you know how to keep your financial house in order. Um, you know, a, a, as we um, you know kick off a, a process or even think about having a process, um, Vitaly, what what are what are some of the things that that you want to make sure are in place uh, from a legal perspective? Yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, you know, when, when you kick off the process, you put a lot of energy and effort into presenting and, and generating interest in the company. And uh, that can all be completely destroyed at first contact with kind of real questions about the business. And um, if, you know, very simple things come up on the legal side, you know, contracts with major customers or uh, IP, et cetera, all of a sudden, again, it's like, you know, one of the key factors that's a little bit counterintuitive or non-intuitive is that um, when things start smelling fishy, that can kill all the efforts. And um, nothing is worse than just looking disorganized or, or kind of backpedaling on different things. Um, so that, that's really important to really run a clean shop uh, all the time and make sure that uh, every, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed and, and your lawyers have looked at everything and don't just uh, put it on the sidelines, but really take it to heart and, and clean, clean it up. It's like, you know, you're going to sell a car, you, you should detail it and you should do the same thing with the company to prepare for that process. Uh, so Drew, as a CFO, who's uh, of, of a company that's experiencing hyper growth and um, I, I would, would venture to guess not for sale. Um, what are some of the other legal things that, that, that you're focused on to make sure that the day that uh, uh, a good offer comes in or that your owners decide to sell that you're ready to go? Yeah, you essentially have to be ready for a data room. So some basic blocking and tackling items, making sure you have all your contracts in a secure uh, folder that you could quickly access and eventually export to a, a SaaS-based data room. Also, knowing your, the answers to your contracts before a buyer finds them, meaning if you have exceptions, if you have limitations on change in control or assignability, if you have some IP ownership issues, indemnification, most favored nations, things like that, that you have a log that keeps track of all these types of exceptions. So when counsel for the buyer comes in, you already know the answer. Nothing's gonna be a surprise to your CEO or your board or investors. You have that listing of exceptions. You could try to address those exceptions prior to a sale process, or you just know it going in. I would also encourage if you have it in your budget to implement a contract management system. Uh, when you're in hyper growth, a contract management system is very productive for an organization, especially a SaaS-based organization. Some companies may not be able to afford a uh, $30,000, $40,000 a year annual license fee for a contract management system, but if you can afford it within your budget, 
then I would encourage it. The other things to look at, if you are involved in, let's say with HIPAA like Greg possibly, or EdTech like myself, take a hard look at your privacy policies and, and terms of service. You know, we have the California Consumer Privacy Act, uh, New York, Texas, other states have pretty strict governance around privacy policies. And even terms of service, you may be licensing other people's technology that require you to flow down certain terms and conditions back to your users. And you'll find many companies out there that don't pass these flow throughs. And, and that's all uh, gonna come up in diligence from a buyer and they're gonna make you go get your customers consent to that. Otherwise, you may not be in compliance with the folks you're licensing uh, uh, technology from. And the other blocking and filing is, is just making sure you're uh, making all your filings in each state, especially states, uh, like registering as a foreign corporation to transact business in each state. So you're in good standing when those, uh, the council for buyers do that due diligence check on you. Nice, Drew. And, and uh, you got to one of my favorite topics, which is tech tools. And it sounds like you've uh, been spending some time looking at, at contract management vendors and would love to hear about your thoughts on just good uh, technology tools that, that CFOs ought to be thinking about. And, and Greg and Jenny would love to hear from you as well on that topic uh, that can help you just be better organized. And let me just start by saying as an outside counsel, um, you know, we're totally reliant on uh, Outlook for everything that we do. Um, and uh, I know CFOs are much more uh, uh, tech savvy in that respect than, than lawyers. But one of the tools that I have found, uh, besides the obvious ones like Zoom that we're all on, uh, is Asana. And Asana is a task management system that you can assign a task and it's really helpful when you're, when you're working in, in remote environments where uh, you can keep track of who was tasked to do what and, uh, ha and know what the status of that task is. But um, Drew, uh, Greg, Jenny, you, you may have some, some other uh, cool ideas of, um, of tech tools that, that make life as a CFO easier. <laughs> 